Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Hello, Relove Church family. Welcome. I just want to thank you so much both to the Relove family and to the Relove community. Whether you're watching here in Southern California or you are somewhere else across the World Wide Web, we want to welcome you into this moment. And just thank you so much for taking the time to engage in this process. I believe firmly that there's nothing better than you can do in this moment right now than to receive the Word of God because we're living in a time period and in a world that is constantly draining us of our energy, of our vitality. If we watch the news too long, too often, we come away feeling just extremely overwhelmed and defeated and depleted. And so to be able to fill up and to allow your soul to exhale and just to receive the word during this time, to be encouraged and to be strengthened is indeed a very important thing to do. And so I want to thank you for taking this moment. And so whether you're watching at home or you're in the car or you're walking your dog at a park, wherever you might be, my prayer is that today you would just receive the word and God would just speak to you and that you would feel your cup beginning to overflow. I want to take a moment and I want to pray for you. And I just want to say to all of those who have been joining us on our prayer calls Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, we thank you so much. We have received your prayer requests and we are continuing to petition the throne of heaven on your behalf. If you haven't taken time to um, call in, then we want to encourage you to do it, right? You can just call and listen, or you can call and just share your, your prayer request as we pray for you. It's just a time for us as a community to come together. We believe that a church that is praised together will be strong. We need each other. This is what the church is for. And so I just want to thank you for doing that. So let me just take a moment and pray, pray for you now. Father, I just thank you again for this chance to open your word. Father, we are living in uh, a very stressful time period. Um, specifically, you know, I know every, every person, wherever they're living in their local community, they're having, you know, struggles and issues, specifically here in Southern California, not just with the political climate, but just the fires also that are raging um, in Irvine and in Yorba Linda and in the areas around um, our homes. Many of us have been, um, have been asked to evacuate. And so Lord, I just wanna pray. I wanna pray for your people right now. I, I ask that you would just send your Holy Spirit to allow your spirit of peace to rush over us and to rest on us. God, I just pray that you would indeed hold this world in the palm of your hands and even more so hold our hearts in the palm of your hand. May we just draw close to you during these times. Lord, this year is almost over and our hope is that next year would be so much better than this year. But God, we don't place our, really our hopes in the years. We place our hopes in our savior, in Jesus Christ. And so Lord, we just look to you as the author, as the establisher, as the finisher of our faith. So in this moment, Lord, we just, Submit this moment to you, and we just ask that you would speak to us as we open your word. Open our hearts, O oh God, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
All right, so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about red, white, and revelation. And specifically, we have been looking uh, at American politics through the lens of prophecy. And the first week we dealt with Revelation um, 7, 6, 7, and we talked about the first angel's message about fearing God and giving glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. We talked about how John the Revelator saw an angel flying through the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. And we really took time to break down what that everlasting gospel was, and we juxtaposed it against um, the false gospel, how there is Babylon, which is a political religious system out there that preaches a gospel of works um, and that you have to do something not just to make it in this life, but that you have to do something to make it into heaven. And so we compared the two and we talked about how in the first message, how God is calling us to worship him, righteousness by faith, believing that we are saved by what Christ has done for us. And then last week we talked about um, the second angel's message and how Babylon is fallen and that Babylon represents again this political religious system. It is essentially the systems of this world. Everything that we have come to know and to a large degree everything that we have come to love about this country, America, but about our world and our systems, capitalism and all of, the, all of the benefits and blessings that come along with it, that what John is trying to communicate to us or what this angel is trying to communicate to us is that the systems of this world are fallen. So therefore, let's not put our hope that America will be made great again. Let's not put our hope in the reality that we're going to restore the soul of America, but in fact that this world is fallen. And that what God is calling us to do is to not just come out of this world, but to rescue people from the dominant system of this world and to help them experience what it means to be in Christ. Now, as I was wrestling this week with preparing the message for today, specifically the third angel's message, I felt like I wanted to just take a, a momentary break from Revelation, from the three angels' message, only because, as you and I know, the election is this coming Tuesday on November 3rd, and we don't know what's going to happen. You know, there's a lot of theories out there. We see what the polls are saying. We see what people are saying. We see the flags flying um, from people's cars and from people's houses. I, my wife and I, we were actually down in Long Beach this last week, and we saw the flags flying even on people's boats. You know, the pro-Trumpers and the pro-Bideners. And, you know, Tuesday is coming, this great election day, and we're not sure what will happen. And I know many of us are anxious. Many of you all have already voted or you're planning on voting maybe Monday or Tuesday on the day itself. And I just want to take a moment to pause specifically from on Revelation and just to draw your attention to a few other passages in the Bible that I really think speak directly to voting and specifically God's position on this matter. That's really what I'm hoping to communicate today. And what I really want us to take away is whose side is God on, right? And I, we kind of dealt with this during the first message, but I want to go a little bit deeper with this thing. And I want to illustrate really what I think the Bible is trying to 
teach us concerning the political theater that we're currently experiencing and engaging in versus the, the theater, the stage that Christ is on. And I want to start by showing you a, for, a few passages. To begin, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, this is essentially Jesus's prayer to his father concerning his disciples and concerning those people who would come after the disciples. And in John chapter 17, Jesus prays a very interesting prayer. It's almost like, I think sometimes we, we read the words of Christ, but we don't really hear what Christ is saying, right? And so I want us to slow down. I was always taught that when you read the Bible, you should read it in first gear. You, if you're any drivers out there who drive stick shift, you know what I'm talking about. That when you read the Bible, you read it in first gear. First gear is when you're going very slowly, right? Don't read it in fifth gear where you're going fast, you know, 80 miles an hour. You read it in first gear. And so I want us to look at John chapter 17, specifically verses 13 through 16, right? And let's pay attention to the words of Christ. He says, in verse 13, now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with joy. He says, I have given them your word. Now, this is Jesus praying a prayer to the father. And as he's praying this prayer to the father, he's saying, OK, father, I'm coming to you. And I told them many things that uh, that while I was with them in the world so that they would be filled with joy. And then he says in verse 14, I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, right? Let's not rush past this. So Jesus in his prayer, he's talking to the father and he says, God, you know, father, he's like, these are the followers that you've given me. I've given them everything that you gave me to give to them. I filled them with joy. Father, the world hates them primarily because they do not belong to the world. So I think that's a point that we just want to put a pin in right there is that when we think about our role in this world, when we think about our orientation and our position and our disposition to this world, we need to understand as individuals who are in Christ, we do not belong to this world. Let me just let that sink in just for a moment. We do not. This is not our home. Yes, we live here. Yes, we were born here. Oh, but by the grace of God, we have been reborn. And because we have been reborn in Christ, John chapter three, we now no longer belong to this world. Right. And this is what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. We don't belong here. And so because we don't belong here, we don't think and we don't orient ourselves and we don't acclimate ourselves and we don't carry ourselves according to the customs and traditions and the ways of this world. I want you to get this in your spirit. That when I, the way I approach life, the way I approach my spouse, the way I approach parenting, the way I approach education and educating my kids, the way I approach my job and my employer, the way that I approach politics, the way that I approach my entertainment, I recognize I don't belong here. So while everyone else is orienting themselves according to their favorite sports team, according to their favorite politician, according to their favorite personal passions or goals or whatever it is they're going after as individuals who are in Christ, we recognize, hold on, like we, this ain't, this ain't it for us, 
right? This is, this is, we, this is just a, a pit stop on our way to glory. We don't belong here. He goes on to say, he's in verse 14, he says, they do not belong to the world. And then get it, the end of verse 14, he says, just as I do not belong to the world. Hear what he's saying. He's like, listen, listen, they don't belong to the world. And Jesus is saying, just as I do not belong to the world. So Christ is really trying to communicate like, listen, I lived in this world for 33 years. I walked amongst you. I talked amongst you. I loved you. I healed you. I fed you. But don't get it twisted. I don't belong here. And everything that I've been doing on this earth for the last 33 years has been to transport you, to, to transition you from an earthly human residency into the spiritual, into the supernatural, into a heavenly kingdom. Right. So that's why when Jesus was confronted in the Gospels, when they say, hey, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? You know, if we're if we're citizens of Rome and should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus is like, listen, give Caesars what Caesars and give to God what's God's like. Understand, like I'm not suggesting that because you don't belong here, you don't pay taxes. Don't get it twisted in case the IRS is watching. Right. Yes. Pay your taxes. But understand that you don't belong here and understand that this is not your home. And he reiterates this in verse 15 by going a little bit deeper. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one while they are in the world. Right. So I want you to really understand. He's saying he says they do not. Verse 16. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. So understand what he is fundamentally saying. He's like, yes, number one, you do not belong here. However, just because you do not belong here and this is not your home, doesn't mean that I'm, I want you to go move to the mountains and live off the grid and avoid any type of uh, a civic responsibility. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not calling you to to come out of the world, per se. He's like, what I'm asking God is that while they are engaged in politics and while you are engaged in the public school system and while you are engaged in corporate America and while you are engaged in capitalism, that you would, that, that, that God's grace and God's peace and the Holy Spirit would so cover your life that the way that you orient to all of those things is different than the way the world orients to all of those things. And so throughout Jesus' his ministry, he is literally, hear me, he is literally trying to detach us. He is, how can I say it? He is trying to detach our hearts from this world so that we do not fall in love with this world. And he is trying to attach our hearts to the kingdom. Even though my body is here, and my family is here, and my time and energy is spent here, my heart is not here. And so the Lord prays, he prays in the Lord's prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That is the orientation of the individual who is in Christ. God, thy kingdom come. God, thy will be done. Where? on earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. So I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done in my family and my community, 
in my country, in my world. I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The question remains, what is God's will? The prayer said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. So what exactly is God's will to be done on earth? Many of us are of the subtle, unconscious, maybe subconscious opinion that God's will to be done on earth is whatever we feel like God's will to be done on earth is. <laughs> and so if I am taking a particular political position, let's say I'm taking the position of a Republican, then I'm saying to them, hey, yes, it's God's will that this person win the presidency. And it's God's will that this person win the, the, mayor, the mayoral race. And it's God's will that this person, that this proposition pass. Why? Because that's my opinion. And we have... We have um, unconsciously, subconsciously, we have connected the will of God to the will of our hearts and to our own wills. And I just want to be very careful. And I want to, if, I, if you would allow me, just to kind of surgically begin to remove the will of God from your conscience. Because I think too many of us have, have, have conflated my values with God's values, and my perspective with God's values, and we have married the two. So when you talk to someone who's on the left side of the aisle, well, yeah, this is what I believe. And so because this is what I believe, this must be what God believes. And when you talk to someone who's on the right side of the aisle, well, this is what I believe. And so because this is what I believe, this is, must be what God believes. And we have hijacked the agenda of heaven and subjected it to our own agenda. And we feel that we are now carrying out the agenda of heaven as we enter into the voting box and as we enter into the workplace and as we enter into our families. Come on now, just be real with me. Right? We've all had, if you're married, uh, we've all had conflict with our spouses at one point or another. Can I get a witness out there from anybody? Amen. Lights, the lights, the walls said amen. We have all had conflict with our spouses at one point. And inevitably, when you have a conflict with your spouse, what is your default prayer? Just talk to me for a moment. All right. Are you praying God fix me <laughs> or God correct me? No, no. When we get into conflict, we are immediately sending all of the, 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 the angelic heavenly power against our spouse. God, fix them, fix her, change her mind, show her, show him that I'm right. Like we automatically, we automatically hijack the authority of heaven and try to wield it on our behalf to convince the other person that we are right and they are wrong. And I just believe that we have done and we do the same thing politically where we hijack the authority of heaven and we try to wield it on our behalf against our political opponent. And what God is trying to say is, okay, I see what you're trying to do, but be very careful not to, not to think, not to suggest, not to impose that, that my heavenly agenda can be boxed in to your political agenda. Let me say that God's heavenly agenda cannot be confined to your political agenda, nor can it be confined to your marital agenda or to your parenting agenda or to any agenda that you feel you are trying to accomplish in your life. Now, there are very well probably sometimes when God is like, yes, you're doing the right thing. So go forward. Right. But we have to be careful. Not to assume that is the case all of the 
time. And so, in the text, this happens. It happens repeatedly. And God is trying to let us know, like, listen, you don't belong here, right? While, yes, you're living here, understand you don't belong here. And so, be very clear and intentional about what it is my will is for you here. The disciples fell down this trap of trying to hijack the powers of heaven for their political and for their personal agenda in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, I want to show you a New Testament example and then an Old Testament example and then we'll be done. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 through 8, Jesus has died. He's rose from the grave. He's about to go to heaven. He's saying his last goodbyes to the disciples. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, he says, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? Right. So the disciples are asking the question like, OK, we've been with you for 33, for, thir for three years. We've heard you've been preaching and teaching and feeding the masses. You've just died. OK, we accept the fact that you went to the Calvary, you rose. So now the disciples are like, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Right. In their minds, I believe they concluded that after the resurrection and after the promise of his Holy Spirit had come, they were still expecting the restoration of a military and political kingdom that would drive out the Romans. They were still like, OK, God, we, we were against you going to the cross, but OK, you persuaded us. So you went to the cross. Then you rose. Wow, look at that power. Now is, are you going to drive out Rome? Now are you going to establish Israel? And look at Jesus' response, right? Jesus corrected them, not by rejecting the question, but by telling them, by pointing them in a different direction. He says um, in verse 7, he replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those days and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power. Say power. Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, OK, I'm not even going to entertain that question. Right. Don't worry about when Israel is going to be restored. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised you're asking that because for the last three years I've been walking with you and teaching you that I'm not trying to to uproot a political power. That my reason for being here was not to somehow um, overcome Roman oppression. That's not why I came. I came to uproot sin and the devil's kingdom. That was my agenda. That was my calling. That was my purpose for coming, not to destroy Rome. So I'm surprised, Jesus, I can imagine, is saying that you're answering this, you're, you're asking me this question. But he's like, you know what? Aside from that, just know that the one thing I want you worried about is... Have you received the Holy Ghost? And when you receive the Holy Ghost, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Basically, he's saying that you will be able to take the gospel. The spread of the good news of the gospel will go throughout the entire world. That's what I want you to focus on. So hear me now that when Jesus says and he prays the prayer in the in the in the in um. In the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, uh, uh, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. The will of God on earth is to spread the gospel throughout the entire world. I want to make sure that we connect those dots. The will of God on earth 
is to spread the gospel throughout the entire world. That's why in John 17, he says, I'm not asking that you be taken out of the world. No, 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 no. I need you go to go into the world so that you can spread the gospel. I'm not here to somehow uproot the political parties. I'm not here to somehow overwhelm the Republicans or overcome the Democrats. I'm not using them as pawns in an attempt to make America great or to restore the soul of America. That's not why I've come. I have come so that you might spread the gospel throughout the world. Regardless who's in the White House, regardless of what country you live in or who was reigning or ruling in this country, your role as an individual, he says, is to take the gospel to everyone that you know. So you don't belong here, but I'm keeping you here. I'm keeping you here so that you can accomplish my will on earth. Spread the gospel. So when we ask ourselves the question, whose side is God on? Jesus very clearly in Acts chapter one, he says, listen, I'm not about to get into this debate on whether I'm for Trump or against Trump or for Biden or against Biden. That's, that's not my issue. That's you all are operating on another layer, another level that's far below the purposes of which I have come. My purposes for which I have come is not to uh, referee your political debate or your political theater. The purposes for which I have sent my spirit into this world is so that the spreading of the gospel can go forward. Not to make one country greater than another country, not to make one party greater than another party. He says, that, no, 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 all of that we just learned last week will fall because Babylon, the systems, the political religious systems of this world are fallen. But I'm not calling you to leave this world. I'm calling you to go into the world and to spread the gospel. We know this. We know that God is not trying to make America great, nor is God trying to restore the soul of America. We know it because in Daniel in chapter three, and we've talked about this before, in Daniel chapter three, where Daniel sees a prophetic vision of all of the kingdoms of this world, and all of the nations, Babylon and Greece and Medo-Persia and Rome, and then the divided nations and Europe and America. He sees all of it. And then Daniel sees something at the end of Daniel chapter three. And I just want to read it for you briefly. He says, he says, in Daniel chapter three, verse, he says, uh, and in that you saw, excuse me, let's back up. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and some of it will be brittle. And, it, and in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine. He says they will combine in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine. So Daniel's like, listen, I saw all the nations of this world and it'll get to the point where the nations of this world won't mingle together. And so then he says, then he says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush 
and put an end to all of these kingdoms, but itself will endure forever. Daniel is essentially trying to communicate, yeah, there's going to be Babylon, there's going to be Greece, there's going to be Medo-Persia, there's going to be Rome, there's going to be all these countries, there's going to be the Europe and then divided Europe and then America. But then Daniel says, but then after all of those kingdoms, another kingdom will come. And that other kingdom will come, he says, will crush and put an end to all of the kingdoms of this world. And this kingdom that comes, it will endure forever. So Christ is saying to us, I'm not here trying to establish your earthly kingdom. I'm here trying to transfer people from this earthly kingdom into the kingdom of my son, Jesus Christ, a kingdom of light that will literally last forever. So when it comes to this political theater, the question is, whose side is God on? God is on neither side. Now I know, and I've had conversations with some of you out there who said, well, God is on the side of the, the lesser of two evils. And some of you all have said, well, the lesser of two evils is Joe Biden, right? Because Donald Trump is just, he's just a womanizer and he's this and he's that and he's the other. And you know, he's, he hates people. He's all about himself. So clearly God is on the side of Joe Biden because Joe Biden is the lesser of two evils. To you, Joe Biden is the lesser of two evils. But I've had conversations, I've had conversations with other individuals on the other side of the fence and they say Joe Biden is like the devil incarnate. And that Trump is strong and he's, he represents good values and he's fighting for America. And so for them, Trump is the lesser of two evils. So therefore, whose side is God really on? He is on neither side. He is not for Trump, nor is he against Trump. He is not for Biden, neither is he against Biden. God is for the kingdom of heaven. And it doesn't matter who's in that White House. The person in the White House, hear me very clearly, the person that is elected on November 3rd will not and does not absolve you and I of our responsibility to take this gospel to the ends of the world. The person who was in the White House. Some of us are of the opinion, well, if we have one person in the White House, then, you know, they're going to be a good example of love and, and all of this thing. And they'll love people. And that's the type of leader that we want. No, 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 no. Hear me. Babylon has fallen. Right? Babylon is fallen. The only leader that we look to as individuals who are in Christ is Christ. He is our leader. And as such... He is the example. He is the model. And he is the one that gives us our marching orders, not Biden, not Trump, and not anyone else. And so whoever is in the White House does not matter as it pertains to my responsibility to love people, to visit the sick, to care for those who are in prison, to comfort the the, the clothed and naked, and to take in the stranger. It does not resolve my responsibility. Now, you might argue, well, if we have one person in the office above another person, they'll create policies, and those policies will be, you know, will make it better for some people, and will be for the immigrants, or will be for our country. Fine. That, that That is a debate that is far below God. Far below God. That is a debate that you and I can have. But God's concern is how are you and I 
advancing the kingdom of heaven. How are you and I telling our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, our barbers and our hairdressers and the ladies who do our nails and the people that we see, our male, how are we communicating the gospel to these people? God is not caught up in our political theater. Now, does that mean that God is not involved? No, I think God is involved. God has always been involved in the affairs of men. But God is not caught up. Let me be very clear. He's involved, but he's not caught up. Okay, so let me give you an example. So this last week, um, I had a, we had a board meeting. We had a church board meeting. My wife was working that night, and so I had the girls. She didn't get home till 11, 30, 12 at night. And so I had the girls, but I had board meeting at 7 p.m. And so I told my daughter, I said, well, I'm going to give you your tablets, right, your little fire tablets. I want you to watch these while I go, and I have board meeting um, uh, and on Zoom and in, my, in, the, in the office, in my office at the house. And so as I was, gave my daughters their tablets and I was walking away from them, my youngest, Elise, she said, well, well Daddy, can we come and get you if we have a problem? And her older older sister then said to her, no, we're not going to get, we're not going to get him. We can solve our own problems. <laughs> oh, listen, I felt, I felt like I had some help. Finally, in this house, I got some help. Like, yes, you can solve your own problems. Don't come and get me. And as, as she said that, and I walked away and I was just chuckling inside. I kind of felt like, you know what, on some level, that is kind of what is taking place in this political theater that we're experiencing, where God's like, okay, I have an agenda, and I have something I'm trying to accomplish. You guys solve your own problems, right? Not to the point where I'm not involved, right? If, I'm, if you call me, I'll show up, but, but who's president? Who's not president? Who wins this? What proposition wins that? Like, God's like, listen, listen, that is far below my purpose on earth. My purpose is to transfer people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And it doesn't matter who's in office, right? Doesn't matter. My purposes will prevail. Joe Biden, my purposes will prevail. Donald Trump, my purposes will prevail. And so as believers who are in Christ, we have this orientation now, which we say, yeah, I'm going to vote. I'm going to be involved, right? Because he has not called me out of the world. He's called me into the world. So I will engage in this political theater, but I'm not going to over-spiritualize this event. I'm not going to say, well, I'm voting for the person that I think Christ would vote for. I'm voting for the person. that. I'm... No, I'm not going to over-spiritualize this event. You vote for the individual that you feel represents your values, but understand that if you drive to the polls to cast your vote, and on the way, you have passed by homeless person after homeless person. And you did not stop. You are missing the point of what Christ has come to do in this world. That is the point. If while you're on your way to the polls, you ignore the felt needs of those individuals around you, thinking that somehow if we get someone in office, that they will then create policies that will address the needs of the people who are on the street, God is saying, no, I don't, I don't, my kingdom is not, my kingdom is not manifested through legislative powers on this world. My kingdom is manifested when individuals, men and women, manifest and demonstrate the love of God for the people they see right in front of them. So God is on neither side. He is on the side of God. <laughs> The kingdom. And I want to illustrate this one more time in one way, one more way for you. 
In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua has just been promoted to the leader of Israel. Moses has died. Joshua now steps up and assumes the position. And Joshua is given the charge to, to cross over the Jordan River and to take Jericho. And God has given him this charge. And so Joshua begins to move the army towards Jericho. In Joshua chapter 6, they're actually going to take Jericho. But in Joshua chapter 5, something very, very interesting happens. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and asked the million-dollar question. It doesn't say million-dollar, but I'm just for emphasis sake. Joshua asked the million-dollar question. Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Now, the context is important. Joshua is leading the children of Israel who are God's chosen people. He's leading them to do the work that God told them to do. He encounters a man who is standing in the path and this man has a drawn sword. And Joshua comes up to this man and he says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And look at the man's response. Verse 14, neither, he replied, but as commander of the Lord, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? And the man replies, I am for neither. I am commander of the Lord's army. Now, now, just intuitively, we would assume, well, because Joshua is leading the children of Israel and the children of Israel are God's people and the children of Israel are doing God's work, therefore, this man has to be for the children of Israel. But look at his response. His response says, okay, yes, you are God's people and yes, you are doing God's work, but I am not for you, nor am I for your enemies. He's like, no, I am commander of the Lord's army. I do the Lord's work. And immediately, look what happens. Immediately, Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servants? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did just that. Look at this thing. The angel of the Lord, the commander of the Lord's army. Some suggest this was Michael. Some suggest this was the archangel. This is the commander of the Lord's army. And he's like, I'm not for you, nor am I for your enemies. He says, I represent the word of God. I represent the armies of the living God. When you think about this political theater that we're in, and that's exactly what it is, it is theater. Understand that God comes down and God says, I'm not for them and I'm not for their enemies. I am here representing the kingdom of heaven. And God's will on earth is far greater than any one person in the White House. Now, we know that God will use 
politicians and leaders and rulers to do his will, as clearly throughout the Old Testament, he did that on several occasions. But let us not get caught up to think that us voting, that we are voting the will of God. No, God's like, my will on earth that I want you to do is to tell your neighbor about me. <laughs> to invite your children into a loving relationship, to turn the other cheek and to forgive people and to, and to minister to people and go visit the homeless and the prisoners and, and take in the orphans and, and, and the immigrants to, to, to clothe the naked. That is my will for you on earth. When Christ comes, he's not gonna ask you who you voted for. <laughs> he's not, but God is saying, no, go to the people who are hurting and in bondage and help them, serve them, take them in, use your resources, your time, your energy. Do not, do not abdicate that role to a politician and to hope that they put policies in place that are going to somehow make it easier or somehow uh, absolve you of your responsibility to do the bare minimum, which is to love people. That is what God has called us to do in this season, to love people. So he's, the angel says, Joshua, the place where you stand is holy ground. This is, harkens back to what Moses experienced when he went to the burning bush and the voice of the Lord through the burning bush said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I would, I would beg of you, Relove, to take off your sandals for the place where you are standing right now is holy ground. And to understand that as a man and a woman, as a boy and as a girl, as an individual who is in Christ, that I am not for one party or for against a party. I recognize that my purpose here is far supersedes and transcends any political debate. Because the reality is, is that we only know what the news shows us. We don't really know what's going on behind closed doors. We don't know who the the puppet masters are who are pulling the strings. And I'm not going down that rabbit hole of conspiracy theory, but I'm just saying that we get so ramped up about what we hear and what we see, not realizing that when it's all said and done, there are strings that are being pulled that we know not of. And so Paul also drives this point home. Don't get so caught up in what you see and so amped up in what you hear. For Paul tells us in Ephesians in chapter six, he says, for we do not fight against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That, that, that my issue is not Biden and my issue is not Trump because they are flesh and blood. And Paul tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But there are unseen forces at play here. And our burden and our responsibility is to not get caught up in this political debate as believers who are in Christ. Our burden and our responsibility is to continue to push and preach the gospel because that is the one thing God has called us to do as believers. So my appeal to you this morning is that we would be less concerned about what is taking place on the surface and that we will be more concerned about advancing the agenda of the kingdom of heaven.
Yes, we vote, and yes, we engage, and yes, we advocate for. But when it's all said and done, if I'm not preaching the gospel and lifting the burdens of the oppressed and setting the captives free, if I'm not leveraging my time, talents, and treasure and my, and my efforts to help humanity come to know more intimately who Jesus Christ is, who I vote for, don't vote for, does not matter. Because we do not belong here. We belong to another kingdom, a kingdom that was not made with man's hands, but a kingdom that was established in the heavenly. And so I want to pray for you, as many of you all are going to the polls and many of you all will be staying up late on Tuesday to watch to see who the projected winner is. Many of you all will be waiting with bated breath and anticipation about um, um, who is going to concede or not concede the race. I want to pray that as we engage in this political theater, for which it is, that we would not lose sight of our personal mission that God has called us as believers in Christ, what he has called us to do that we would not lose sight that he has called us to spread the gospel to every place that we go, regardless of who is in power or who's not in power. You know, I was thinking this week as I close about this house that is a few doors down from mine. And about a week or two ago, this house was actually, um, it was tarped. It was wrapped, if you know that expression. The entire house was wrapped. And the entire house was wrapped because um, apparently there were termites in the house. And so the way that they get rid of termites is they fumigate the house. And so they have to wrap it. You have to remove you know, a lot of your things from the house. You have to leave the house for two or three days. They wrap the house. They cover it completely in this large tarp. And they place these kind of like these bombs in the house that go off and that go throughout the ventilation and behind the walls. And they are supposed to destroy and kill all of the termites. And as I was driving by this house this last uh, couple weeks ago, I couldn't help but think to myself that um, that house kind of really represents how we view this country. Right. That there are termites in the fabric of this country. There are termites in the fabric of this world. So much so that the world is so infested with termites that this world can't be tarped. You see, when you wrap a house, you're wrapping a house because you, you believe the house is still salvageable. But some houses get to the point where the termites are so dominant that the core of the house is rotted out and nothing you do can save the house. The only thing you can do is to tear it down, brush it aside and start over. This is this world that we're living in where sin has so ravaged us and so ravaged this planet that God is saying to us, hear me, God is saying this world and the systems of this world cannot be redeemed. It has to be torn down, brushed aside, and started over. And the, what he's calling us to do 
is to take out all of our prized possessions from this world. The people, the friendships, the relationships, our neighbors, our coworkers, to bring them out and say, listen, this thing right here, it's about to blow. <laughs> let's come out of this world. Let's allow God to have his work and let's enter into the world that he will make again. That is where we are in this world. That's why Revelation says Babylon is fallen. This world is fallen. Now, don't get me wrong. I love this country and I love the freedoms that this country has given us. And I love the beauty. And there is so much beauty in this world. But I also recognize that this world is on death row. And that what God is calling us to do is to preach the gospel to others that they might be saved and be transferred into the kingdom of light. So you have friends and family in your world. You have family members, you have relatives. And my prayer is that, yeah, go vote, but let your light shine. That people will see Christ in you and they will be transferred from this kingdom of darkness and into this kingdom of light. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you again I thank you for your word, which reminds us that you are here and you're involved, but you are not caught up. You are not involved in the theater that is currently taking place, but you have an agenda that is far greater than who occupies the White House or who occupies any country leadership. Your agenda is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you have commissioned us to go into the world and to spread that gospel. And so God, my prayer is that we would go forward with clarity and with confidence that we would know what battle we're really fighting, that we would know whose side we're really on, and that we would not get caught up in the debate, that we would not put our hope in a man or a candidate, but that our hope alone would be in Christ. And come Wednesday morning when we wake up to see who won, if there is a projected winner at that time, may we not feel overwhelmed or may we not feel overjoyed, but may we still just rest in Christ. There is more work that you have called me to do, regardless of who is in the office. Because ultimately, God, you are on the throne. And so, Lord, we just bring this to you. May your peace this week rest and rule on your people. In Jesus' name. Amen.